Pain is inevitable. We will all experience pain, but suffering is optional. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. It's my honor to introduce my next guest, Karen Lambros, who most people know as Duff, the famous MTV VJ, the Maybelline model, or maybe you recognize her as an actor. All those labels are accurate, but if you were to ask her what she prefers to be recognized, you'd most likely get a response like certified hospice chaplain, volunteer, mentor, mother, or author. She also happens to be a sufferer from sarcoidosis, one of the most painful chronic diseases out there. But don't you dare try to give her that label. You see, she's a woman on a mission that's all about purpose, a theme that we discussed throughout the course of our conversation. Duff is awesome. She's got a great sense of humor, an elephant's memory. She's a wonderful storyteller and has one of the most positive dispositions you will ever meet. Not to mention, I'm fairly certain that she likes quotes just as much, if not more, than myself. And you know what they say, to be liked is to be liked. Our conversation covers a lot of ground, like Duff's story and how she has been able to remake herself a bunch of times, the book she reads, what she does to stay in touch with people, and the importance of being a good friend. Speaking of friendship, she shares with us some people she admires and what she looks for in a friend. I really appreciated this time with Duff and hope you're able to walk away with as many takeaways as I did. So please kick back and enjoy my conversation with Karen Duff Lambros. Cool. Mm-hmm. You've got great stories and you tell a good story. Thank you. Any story in particular that you'd like to start with, edify the audience, uh, whether it's Greek history, okay. whether it's something that you've read or even maybe a story that you've been a part of? Well, my name's Karen Duffy, and I am an author. I just wrote a book called Backbone, Living in Chronic Pain Without Turning Into One. And um, I kind of had a shift in my career. You know, I started out as a recreational therapist. My job was to kind of focus on ability rather than disability for the elderly population. And I worked at a nursing home, and I loved it. And my job as a recreational therapist, again, was to focus on ability, what we can do. And so a lot of times we're in Hoboken, I would host the Frank Sinatra Appreciation Hour and I'd make pasta and we'd listen to Frank Sinatra. The idea was, I was working with a collection of residents who lived in a nursing home and like how to inspire purpose in their life. And conversely, my life was wildly enhanced my sense of gratitude for every day by bearing witness to these centigenarians and nonogenarians, people really of advanced age. So a lot of my clients had Alzheimer's or dementia. And so I really had to work on my skills because they had a very short attention span. So I had to make sure that I spoke clearly, that I move in and out to keep attention. The other thing is that at the end of life, I'm very visible. 
I'm black and white and red so people can see me. And so while I loved my job at um, the village nursing home, I thought all of these skills that I've kind of really have worked on are transferable to being a VJ on MTV. Because everyone was saying that MTV was reducing people's attention spans. Uh And so I just made a cheese ball, $5 videotape, pretending to be a VJ, sent it in and with no expectation, but I just figured, why not try things? So I wound up, I sent it in on a Friday. That following Tuesday, I had a screen test and I was on TV that week. I still worked. You're kidding me. Still worked at the nursing home and then started as a volunteer. But that's really how my career began, was understanding that all of our skills are transferable. Wow. That's amazing. So how did that transfer into your success as a VJ? I think because, first of all, I felt like I snuck into a party and I was just waiting to get thrown out. <laughs> like It's not like I studied communications or acting. I worked with people and there's an absence of embarrassment with me. I really think the only time <laughs> You're you in. should feel shame uh-huh. is if you've been unkind. Mm-hmm. And when you're a jackass, you admit it and apologize and try to make it right. But I don't think you should feel shame if you slip on a banana peel or you get some intestinal fortitude disaster. Like life happens and you just have to forgive yourself. And I just feel like shame is something that I was not going to attach myself to. So is that always oh, that been a common theme in your life, or is this is something in these No, it's past something years that I've had that, to learn because yeah. you become so self-conscious. And I just thought if I'm going to now go from calling bingo at a nursing home to announcing videos on MTV, I am going to be a magnet for criticism. Mm. And the thing is, like, I don't want that to ruin my day. So I just said, I'm not going to. And so I had a great time. I think the reason why what contributed to my success was a sense of fun. I didn't like I was prepared and I went in every day with the intention that perhaps I could impart some sort of knowledge or awareness on every shift. So I feel like that worked. It was great fun. And eventually I wound up getting sick when I was about 32 and with a very rare disease called sarcoidosis of the central nervous system. So I have sarcoidosis as well as uh, complex regional pain syndrome. So I'm no longer able to pass a physical to do any more movies or TV shows, or you really can't hire a person to do a show that's going to could be millions of dollars. And they want to make sure that the actors are healthy enough to show up and do You're their job. Me. There, what about, there's no disability law that protects you? You don't uh, fall into a certain category? I mean, they have these in most other professions. That's not... This is because they need you physically to show up. Yeah. And so I can do day parts, but I was like, you know what? Like... I'm going to kind of take this opportunity because I do feel that all skills are transferable. And I wrote a lot at MTV and I was like, all right, so now I've focused and I've written four books. (laughs) So you're just like, no for you really means next opportunity. Oh, I like that. (laughs) Yes. I think that rather than focusing on the problems, I'm going to focus on the solution. Wow. And kind of what we were talking about at lunch is that we can't control what happens. Anybody can get sick. Anybody can live with chronic pain. Anyone could lose their job. We don't know what's going to happen. 
The only thing we have control over is how we respond. So I don't want to harp on it, but I think that the disease that you have is so rare、mm-hmm. that most people listening probably aren't as familiar with it. Do you mind walking us through exactly what it is? How somebody gets it? Is it hereditary? What does it do to you? Just to give the full, put everything into context, like why this is so debilitating. Because even just when we were at lunch, I could, I was feeling your pain. You were so good at disguising it, but I could tell when you were having like shimmers of just. Pain. Yes. Well, it's funny. Yeah, I think my, probably my best acting job is pretending that I'm well. And yeah, today's a particular day where I'm a little more sensitive. I've been running around a lot, so I have sarcoidosis of the central nervous system, and this is a disease. It's an autoimmune inflammatory disease, similar to MS, multiple sclerosis, or lupus, or even Lou Gehrig's disease. ALS. So it is a disease of unknown origin. It's called an orphan disease because there are under, I think, two hundred thousand people in the United States who have it. And so it's kind of like rheumatoid arthritis. There's kind of a big umbrella of diseases that fall under orphan diseases. It mainly occurs in the lungs, usually as most chronic illnesses between the ages of twenty and forty. And the good news is that we're there's some doing some great research and finding out we don't know what causes it, but it normally impacts anywhere we have soft tissue. So the number one target is lungs, and the great thing is that it can spontaneously resolve. So you could have these lesions in your lungs, and they could spontaneously go away. And that's about eighty percent of the cases. About seventeen percent have it, and it goes through multi-systemic all through the body. And three percent, I am in that very rare three percent that has it neurologically. The amazing thing with living with chronic pain is I just didn't think it would be possible to live for twenty years and always live in pain and still have a great life. Yeah, like it is possible. <laughs> yeah. For chronic pain and happiness to coexist, and purpose. Yeah. Before even walking through some of that, have you had a mentor that has helped you or walked you through? I mean, this positive disposition. How have you been able to maintain that? I think I've learned through my brothers and sisters who are also dealing with chronic illnesses. I read all the time, and I would say one of my favorite books ever is Viktor Frankl's *Man's Search for Meaning*. And that is a book that I revisit at least once a year. You know, it's so funny. You're the third, maybe even fourth person in the past two weeks that has just mentioned this book that's been around forever. It, it, it was written post World War Two. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. That is called when you hear of something and it's new information, and you hear it repeated several times. That's called the Bader-Meinhof effect. That is a phenomenon that happens that where you hear a bit of new information. And then hear it again several times. Yeah, and so is that a sign that that's something that I should read? Or Absolutely, that,、yeah, okay, I think、right, you、yeah. because it is. I mean, it sounds fantastic. The book just sounds fantastic, but just the fact that it's come up three or four times just in the past couple weeks. Well, I think the search for meaning、yeah. is essentially you could substitute the word for purpose. And Viktor Frankl was a neurologist and psychologist who was enslaved in Auschwitz and how he survived, and. He believed story,、yeah. that we can essentially endure anything as long as we have meaning. 
and to have meaning will keep you going. And I just heard our former Vice President Joe Biden speak, and I loved the way he described having purpose, having meaning in your life. And he said, to have a purpose means you have something to love, something to do, and something to look forward to. So simple. Yeah, well, <laughs> on the surface. Yeah. You know. <laughs> do, love, look forward to. Wow. So you're 32, you said, did that happen? Yes. So, mm-hmm. And then was it like the rug got pulled out from under you? Yes. Yeah, okay. I went from, I had a big contract for Revlon Cosmetics. I had a really cushy job at MTV, which essentially a monkey could have done. But yeah. I was having so much fun with it. I was doing some movies, most of which... I wouldn't watch if they were screening on my own corneas, but um, <laughs> I had Dumb and Dumber and Blank Come on, Check. do not. I love that I movie. Love you Dumb can't. Yeah, all right. Okay. I will never disparage that. Okay. So yes, I had to kind of mourn for my old life and figure out this new life. And there's 113 million Americans live in chronic pain. And that's one out of three. I think the, the message of my book, Backbone, It's called living with chronic pain without turning into one. The idea that pain is inevitable. We will all experience pain, but suffering is optional. Mm. So you can live in chronic pain every day, but you can choose not to suffer. What are some of the chronic pains that you're familiar with? Well, with me, I have severe nerve damage where this lesion in my brain, because your skull is a contained environment, So I had this lesion growing, growing in the back of my skull. So it crushed all the nerves that essentially, like right here, I wear something. This is a lidocaine patch. And it's funny, like people were saying like, well, why do you wear that there? And I was like, because that's where it's got to go. And again, like, it's funny. It's like, people are like, doesn't it bother you? I just think like, it's helping me. I'm so grateful. Like, who cares if I'm wearing a patch? I mean, I wear it. On my face. I'd yeah. wear it anywhere. People well, don't understand if they've had pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You'll do I know. anything. You'll do anything. Yeah. And trying to manage pain with purpose. So this is a really high-functioning day for me. I was able to pop over to Hoboken, meet you for lunch, and work in the morning on my production responsibilities. But there are days, maybe two or three days, where I essentially make a couch fort and don't move. And those days are okay too. I still, every day, I try and write a thank you note, thanking somebody in the world, whether it's somebody I read about in the newspaper or it's somebody I think of. I find that gratitude is a great motivator. Oh, yeah. Tell me about some of the, you don't have to necessarily say names, but tell me about maybe some of the responses. And I know that you do this thanklessly. Well, I mean, I don't want, the idea is to shine the light on a moment where I'm being appreciative. And I feel that gratitude and happiness are so deeply intertwined. The more grateful you are, the more reasons you have to be happy. Mm. So I try to be of service. Like I mentor, I love that. I love the younger people, people my age that I work and mentor and try and share whatever I can as, as your philosophy as a networker. And it's just amazing to get a response back or that's not why I do it, but it's just... I know something. I'm sorry to cut you off, but something that you do that I think is fantastic is that you don't even put your return address yes. on the envelope. Well, because again, I just feel like 
it's saying thank you and I don't now need a reciprocation. One of the reasons that I don't do email thank yous is because when you email or text, there is a, a burden of reciprocity. reciprocity yeah. So, oh, if I send you an email, you're going to have to send it back. So instead, it's just a letter yeah, and then boom, it's done. <laughs> you know, it's just out in the world yeah, and it's yeah, over. Yeah. And I enjoy that. I like just trying to just in a small way say thank you. Thank yeah. you many, many times a day. That's great. What have been some of the responses from people when they do track you down or they do bump into you? What do they tell you? It's funny. I did get an email. I thanked a woman for suggesting some like complimentary therapies. And I will say I'm pretty old school Western medicine. I take chemo, steroids, MS content, sustained release. I take Neurontin. I wear a lidocaine patch. I don't do a lot of yoga or oat milk or <laughs> acupuncture, but this woman reached out to me and said, I should try this particular ginger turmeric CBDT. And I believe in the placebo effect. The word placebo comes from the Latin meaning I shall please. So I like to kind of put the comma in different places. I shall please. <laughs> I shall please. Like, so I was like, okay, I'm going to try this, whether or not it's the placebo effect. And I, I sent her a note thanking her. And she said, you have no idea. When I first got diagnosed, you sent me to my doctor. You helped me find a psychologist who only studies the psychology of illness in women. And she said, my entire team of doctors, you directed me to. And I had absolutely no memory of that. And that just came this morning. And that really was like... Here I am thanking this woman for really giving me this. She might not gift. have. She might not have found it had it not been for maybe your graciousness. It's just amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Like how it only takes a little spark. It can become just so easy. I think when you are showing gratitude and kindness to others, what you're doing is you're respecting yourself, but just by like holding a door open, helping an older woman carry your bags, like those small little acts are what we should do to be compassionate humans. But I do think that it then creates a momentum. Mm. And that's really beautiful to see. Tell me about the birthday of a neighbor who's not really a neighbor of yours. Oh, oh, there's a homeless woman yes. who lives on our laundry room, has a vent that shoots out warm air. And there's been a homeless woman that I've been in my building for 19 years. And she's been in that neighborhood. And I was in at the dry cleaner and I always check in on this woman and my son and I wrap up Christmas presents. And so my girlfriend at the dry cleaner said, it's Stephanie's birthday today. So we went and got her a birthday cake and we got candles and wrapped up. I got new socks and all the things that she wanted. And it was amazing. So she's a woman who's homeless, severely dealing with severe mental illness. And she blew out this candle and we live by NYU and there's all these NYU students and these, like, they're just passing by in between classes. And it was great. Kids didn't have their phones out. They were reaching into their backpacks. And by the end of the day, she had her like birthday cake, still the candle had been blown out, but she'd eaten some and she just had stacks of books. I just thought that was so beautiful. And again, like it really was Evangeline. Let's go buy the cake. Just so nice. That's great. Yeah. So back to your book. Walk me through what prompted you to write this and tell us a little bit about the book. 
Well, I'm really proud of Backbone because... Why Backbone more so than your other books? Because I think it's my best book. Okay. I think I'm a better writer. I think in between my last book and this book, I became a certified hospice chaplain. And I feel like the skills that I learned in school, the word compassion comes from the Latin meaning suffering together. And when you understand the statistics of people who live with chronic illness, chronic pain, it's 113 million. One out of three. I'm a chronic migraine sufferer. Yeah. How are you doing today? You know what? It's so funny. So I'm going to show you when we're done, I track. So today was the first day, I think in almost a month that I didn't have a migraine. That I didn't wake up. So we're both having some good days. Yeah, you know? I think it's yeah. I think it's great to honor you know all information that you can track, I think is really important. Well, so people what they always joke around, they say, You're so happy all the time. You're yeah. always such so energetic. I said, Listen, unless you've ever had a migraine before, anytime that you don't have a migraine, you are I mean, I've got to assume you feel the same way. When you are feeling good, you feel good to feel good. You Yes. And even when I'm like even just the memory of feeling good is often enough. But when there are down days, like when you're not as high functioning, what do you do? What do I do? Yes. Is it dark in terms room, of, uh, just staying? Th- there, you know what? There's nothing I can do that makes when you get, when I'm in a full blown migraine, it just doesn't, nothing's going to make me feel better. Do you, you see know, I ice, and- thank good. I, I see them. I feel them when they're coming, mm-hmm. but the only thing that I can really do is I just put ice all I surround. I put ice in the back of my neck. Because of the nerves that yes. go up there, I surround, and that's about it, just to try to numb. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing, you know. There's really I've tried ever so bunch of the medications that you mentioned. I've mm-hmm. tried. They even tried. Oh my god, I forgot what it's called. I've even tried lithium. I mean, mm-hmm. you name something, I've tried, and then they just don't work. They mm-hmm. just make you feel yeah, neurontin, tetracycline, yeah, 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 all, all those, that whole, you know, these beta yeah. blockers and all mm-hmm. these things. It's it's brutal. Yeah, it's so, just the way you're wired. Yeah. And one of the things that really helped me, Adam, was like everybody has something. And I think understanding that we are all fallible. The biggest issue in, as I was mourning for my old life and figuring out this new life, was this shame and the feeling like, oh, the life where I was going, yeah, that ship has sailed. And I was so embarrassed, like my body's giving out, my parents are worrying. My husband, he feels so helpless. I was so embarrassed that I was usurping all these resources from the people that I loved with worry. And it took me a while. That was probably one of the hardest things to get over was feeling like I was damaged goods Mm. and rebuilding this life. And that's really hard. And I just feel like I hope with my message of backbone and through my life and my life of service that... We all can't do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. So writing a thank you letter is a small thing that amplifies great love. And maybe reaching a hand, acting as a mentor, offering advice, being compassionate, just listening. These are all small things that we can find. And then when you feel like you're useful and feel like that's when you feel good again. So how are you able to do all the things that you've been able to do between the writing, between you and Andrew, you're just talking about a documentary that you did. You're very active. Well, I think that's a lot of obfuscation. I think that I have- It's a big word for me. uh, Yeah. I am projecting 
that there is an image and what I'm doing is obfuscating, meaning kind of in the shadows, trying to cover up my illness a little bit. So one of the great things is teamwork. So I have a production partner, Andrew Moscato, who's fantastic. And I work with him on documentary projects that are meaningful to us that really highlight valor, courage, friendship. Writing is something that I do on my own. I handwrite. I was just going to ask you if everything, okay. Everything's handwritten. So here's what I learned. I'm left-handed and I only have two fingers that work on my left hand. And I've got a few more on my right, but I'm left-handed. So I tape a pen in my hand and I just write down my notes. And How's your handwriting? Terrible. (laughs) But I, I, I feel like rather than transcribing, I just feel... I went to a handwriting specialist for my kid and they said how handwriting is so important that when you're typing out, there's a part of your brain that misses the wiring. But when you're writing something down, like I always have a notebook next to me. And so when you're writing, you're making shapes with your hand and your brain is directing those shapes. You've got the smell of the paper, the smell of the ink, where it was written on the page. So you're going to remember more. More senses. More senses are igniting. And also, we forget 80% of what we've learned the day before. I think I'm at 99. (laughs) (laughs) But there are tricks, like the mnemonic that you taught me called Be Suave. Gosh, your memory is good. And well, because you pay attention, and it was a mnemonic. And these are little tricks that if you can enhance your memory, and not rely on everything to be digital. I think that you're firing more synapses. Yeah. I think, you know, and the more you're firing, the better you are. Yeah. So have you received feedback, get back to your book again, in terms of from some of the people that are suffering and dealing with this day to day? Yes. And that's been incredible. And because I think that the Stoic philosophers believe that as you begin something, think about how you want it to end. And so start with the end in mind. Yes. And I was like, I want to write a book about pain on the subject of it. That was not painful to read. I wanted it to be funny. I filled it with funny illustrations yeah. and wild stories and great bits of, I love ephemera little facts. So I just was like, I want to laugh on every page and there's different kind of laughs. So like, that's funny. And then oh, like, I don't believe that really. So I felt that there was a need that because pain is an invisible illness, people don't really know how to respond. And it's funny. I know when people read my book, they're always like, oh, can I shake your hand? Or like, yes, I'm fine. Like, <laughs> but what I love is that the book's been getting passed around. The International Pain Foundation just gave the Book of the Year award. And I'm really grateful because I feel like it's made an impact. Would you say that mental health falls under that umbrella or you're talking? Okay. So it's not just physical pain. I am talking about physical pain, but I think that emotional pain is as deeply devastating when you're enduring it. So again, we focus on compassion and suffering together and how to find a way to be useful. I really look at the upside of having your life turned upside down. Mm. And there are, and I think there is grace in resilience. And again, I've disassociated myself from the idea of perfection. I think that when you really can't trust your body, you become much more 
accepting and more resilient, tougher, braver. Mm. I'm a better person than I was. I wouldn't wish chronic regional pain syndrome on anyone. So you talked about how sometimes it goes away. It doesn't really go away. It's tamped down um, by my medication. But I still have breakthrough pain, as you saw many times during our lunch, that I just kind of freeze. Do you know what triggers it? Are there, is stress a trigger? Is there like... No, I just think, you know, it's the wiring. I just was unlucky in one sense, but I've been lavishly lucky in many other ways. And I just try and keep the good luck in my favor. I try and like... Keep uh, That's what you focus on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll rejoin our conversation in just a moment. If you're enjoying this podcast as well as our other episodes, please support us using Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash networkwise. All patrons will receive early access to podcasts and exclusive networking advice. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash networkwise. Thanks for listening, and now let's rejoin the show. How have the relationships that you've developed served you? Well, I have a very strong community of friends that go back forever, and I feel like there's a shorthand there. We have some great friends in common. I love one of my favorite quotes. Another thing that I do every day is I try and teach myself a new quote. Oh, I'm a quote guy. I'm going to send you some quotes then, mm-hmm. if you like. Yeah. I do. Yeah. All right. Good. And this is from the book of Ecclesiastics. It said, a good friend is the best medicine of life. Mm. Oh, I haven't heard that one. And <sighs> it's absolutely true. And a good friend is the best medicine. And one of the things, so if you're not living with a chronic illness, probably somebody that you love is. And I feel that my book also has the dual support where you can understand if you live with it or if you love somebody. So you kind of know what to do. And sometimes I was just checking in. I have a girlfriend who has Lou Gehrig's disease and it's really tough. She's incredible. And so I send her a postcard twice a week. Because again, I don't want her to feel like she has to reciprocate because she's got to write everything with her eye muscles on the keyboard. Gosh. But you know what? She still needs to be in the loop and find out, you know, what's going on. And it's not all, how are you feeling? I would say her illness comes up maybe once every 10 conversations. It's mainly like, this is what's going on with our friends. And there's a great joy. I've learned so much from her. She's really like, I think we all look at, and we have people in our lives, like, I just don't know how they do it. Amazing. Yeah, it's... How have the relationships, like, what do you do? I mean, clearly the gratitude and staying in touch with people is huge. Are there other things that you do or have done throughout the years to maintain some of these relationships? And also, who makes the cut for you? How does somebody make the cut? Because there's only so much time in the day. Mm-hmm. You clearly have got a lot going on with what you're dealing with between the book. By the way, you're married and have a son. So mm-hmm. how do you... What I've noticed in life is I've, you take more time pruning. Mm-hmm than building. I was going to say, yes, I weed my social garden, you you know, and I'm blessed. I'm so grateful because as we said before, a good friend is the medicine of life. And you know what? I have to take my medicine every day Mm. and I just have to be mindful that I only have so much stamina. I think with everyone, we have a finite amount of energy and a finite amount of time. One of my favorite 
the Stoic philosopher Seneca wrote, it's not that our lives are short, it's that we waste so much of it. So I think to be mindful of that. And the first thing I do, I get up, I take my medicine. It takes me about an hour for it to get in so I can put on clothes and get up and make breakfast for my family and be present. But then I sit when the house is quiet and everyone leaves. I go into my office and I write down my list of goals, what I want to do to the day, what I hope to do in the week. And when there are days where I really can't do anything, like yesterday, I'll take an online course. And it's something that I can do physically that's passive, but intellectually I'm stimulated. I believe that, as I said, I don't do a lot of like complementary therapies like yoga or acupuncture. But what I do believe in is bibliotherapy, which is the idea of using books as medicine, which has been around for thousands of years. Actually, the first Babylonian library inscribed it said this is a house of healing for the soul Mm. so reading is my therapy and walking socrates had the peripatetic school of philosophy meaning that he spoke in parapatu walking and so i walk and i am just listening now to podcasts but i like also having these quiet moments i read some statistics which were unbelievable that the average person touches their phone 2,600 times a day. That's it. The... And you too. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, I don't touch. But, yeah. but and, and the reason why yeah. is because they were designed to be addictive. The brilliant software designers understood that every time we touch our phone, we get a hit of dopamine because we're expecting good news. So the average person spends five hours a day engaging on their phone. So that adds up to 54 days a year, which is one-seventh of your life in that year. And I just think, well, if I'm going to give that much time, I want to give it, have it, have purpose. And I'm not saying like, oh, you're bad if you do this, or this is a negative. I'm just saying, let's all be aware. Mm. These are the hard statistics of what are the average? Where do you fall in? Are you okay with that? And how can you maybe adjust it? So I maybe spend more time alone in thought. I mean, I distract my, the same way that somebody would be playing word with, words with friends, I've got my head buried in a book. So I'm doing the same thing. I'm putting, instead of a screen, I've got wood paper pulp. Yeah. So what's your major form of communication then, would you say? I buy reams of stamps. And I love this place. It's called American Stationery. It's an American company. And you can get 100 postcards for $10. And I like right now, it just says from the desk of a nasty woman. Like I'll find a funny (laughs) quote and attribute it and then put that and then my name on it. So I write. I rarely engage on the telephone. One of my other favorite quotes is from Somerset Mom, who said that anytime you get a message, oh, it's urgent. We're looking for you. It's more important for the person looking for you than (laughs) it is for you. Maybe that's a selfish way to look at it, but again, I have a limited amount of time, limited amount of energy, and my husband and my son are the most important. My faith is very important. But you guys are very social. Yes. So yes, yes. I mean, I've been to one of your parties. There's yeah, a, there's yeah. A lot of people, and yeah, yeah, that was a wild one. Yeah. Did you wind up spending the night? At that one? No, we went back, but late. Yeah. Because when yeah. I woke up, we I had like 17 people, people staying. Oh, really? yeah. 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 So yes, we entertain a lot. My husband 
he's an amazing man. And I love hearing him give toasts at dinner. And I love getting our friends together. And I just have a few tricks up my sleeve, whether, you know, it's doing a buffet or we'll do a potluck. I mean, potlucks are great. It is because it's communal. And like when people come to my house, I wrote a cookbook called A Slob in the Kitchen. And my idea was... <laughs> Who comes up with these names? Is, too <laughs> yeah. is that your name? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Well, here's my idea. There's yeah. millions of cookbooks that are going to teach you how to make like Coco Vaughn or some like really... No, I wanted a cookbook where the only guarantee was that this recipe would taste like food. Uh -huh. That was <laughs> like, listen, there's a million cookbooks if you want to make some fancy Italian feast. But you know what? If you want to learn how to make the best peanut butter cookies in the world with three ingredients, mm -hmm. I'm your girl. There you go. <laughs> and the reason I wanted to write this cookbook was because living with a chronic illness and limited time, I thought if I could just make dinner for my family, I felt like I've done something. So I kind of wanted to share that with the world. Mm. What do you, what do you cook? Do you have a go-to? I can do anything. Like, I mean, my friend who was over this weekend, we had a writer, uh, John Prendergast come over whose new book, Congo Stories is out. And he has spent so much of his life in sub-Saharan Africa that he has some digestive issues and he's celiac disease. Oh. So I made him banana pancakes and he's like, duff, I can't eat pancakes. And I was like, these you can. And it's, three eggs and two bananas. And you just mash it all up with the potato masher and then ladle it into some coconut oil. And it makes great pancakes. Hmm. You don't need any flour. The eggs hold it together. And it was great. How it was did you great. discover that? I just started looking around because I like recipes that have three ingredients. Like That's the trick. That's the trick. Like I just read that like there's these things called ice cream muffins where you take... Like a melted ice cream. I love ice cream. And then two and a half cups of self-rising flour. Uh -huh. And you mix it up. And then you put it in the oven at 350 for 20 minutes. And it turns into cake. Really? Yeah. I love ice cream. I know. I'd that. probably just leave the ice cream yeah. there. But <laughs> even if it melted, I would just drink yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's funny. Wow. Yeah. So he enjoyed your... your yes. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. And so it was kind of fun. My friend helped me cook dinner. And it was kind of fun. Like... How are we going to cook for a guy who has so many allergies? He's limited, yeah. Yeah, and and it was fun. Well, now, what was his draw to Africa? He has was really interested in when Nelson Mandela was imprisoned in Robbins Island. And he runs the Enough Project and not on our watch for George Clooney and Matt Damon, Brad Pitt, and all those guys. And he's just a man of sterling integrity to see what he goes through and how much he has sacrificed of his life and how much joy he reflects in the world when he's seen the worst of humanity. Mm. So expand. So in the Sudan, in Southern Sudan is a repository of some of the rarest minerals. They're called the three T's. It's tin, tungsten, tantium, and gold are all in the cell phones we have in our pockets in our playstations our tvs and now cobalt is the essential rare mineral of lithium batteries for electric cars and these are being hand mined by child labor so there's a genocide going down so he works in conflict resolution in africa it's an amazing story i highly recommend it yeah. it's called congo stories congo stories by john prendergast wow tell me something interesting about you that most people don't know and say, oh, 
that I won the Ernest Borgnine Lookalike Contest twice at one of my favorite Mexican bars, Tortilla Flats. They had... I've been to Tortilla Flats in a while. Is it still there? It just closed, No, dude. you're yes. kidding me. It was... It was like, a, it's been there forever. Yes, uh, almost 40 years. Wow. Yeah, they just lost their lease. What? Rents too high. Yeah, or, yeah. in the West Village, Seventh uh, um, Ave or no? No, no. Uh, West Village. It was on West Twelfth, and uh, so my Washington wife would pass it when I'd come back into the Holland Tunnel. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. So the nursing home where I worked at was on Eleventh Street, and Tortilla Flats would have bingo night yeah. where you'd put tortilla chips gotcha. on the cards, and then you'd win shots of tequila. <sighs> And that's where I learned my bingo technique. That's funny. And again, all skills are transferable. 100%. What you pick up along the way, polish it like a diamond, give gratitude to the person Mm. that taught you. My friend Steve, I was like, we've got to get you a book deal. You've got to write the story of Tortilla Flats. Is he going to do it? Yes, I'm hopeful. Yes. I mean, so many people have come in that, come through those doors. I know. It's like a tourism because the word got out. It's not just... Yeah, and it was just such. Is condos going to go there, or what are they? I don't know. It's that whole neighborhood. That's where I'm from. My family's from the West Village. My family founded Duffy Sanitation, which was the longest continually operated family business in New York City. What? And it's not anymore. No, I would say my uncle Terry and my cousins Jimmy and Kevin they sold it just a few years ago. But it was all the. Garbage trucks in New York City with the pink leprechauns. Yeah, that was them. That's so funny. You just never know. What are you working on now? So I'm working on a new book, and that is using essentially classic philosophy, like the Stoicism, for the modern woman. It's funny. I really don't believe in self-help. I've been asked by a publisher to write a self-help book for millennials, and I just feel like... "Uh." That's so false. I'm not a millennial. I'm beyond that. And (laughs) I also feel that just by opening up a self-help book, you ignite a cascade of neurochemicals that make you feel like you've done something just by reading, just by opening, by buying the book, you've already ignited the reward center of your brain. So I don't believe in self-help. I believe in self-action. I believe in self-service. I think... The only way you can feel good about yourself is when you are in service to others. Mm. And again, I do feel that I've maintained my sense of gratitude, my sense of purpose, because there are months where I'm in and out of the hospital and I am not engaging with the world. But I am present and alive through my postcards and through my mentoring, which is so great. There's an amazing organization. It's called... They have the Red Scarf Project, and with it's called Foster Care to Success. And so every year they say, everyone, like, knit a red scarf. We're making care packages to children in foster care who have aged out of their foster care system but are at a school, like a technical school, a community college, and they don't get those packages. So I love this program. Foster Care to Success also has an online mentoring. And it just takes two times a month. Just check in. How are you doing? Let's see your grades. How can I help? What books are you reading? And that makes everything possible. What are you seeing that most people need in a mentor? Consistency. 
Consistency meaning you showing up and yes. being there for them? Yes. Gotcha. Okay. But also expectation. I think that depending on who you're mentoring. So I've worked with the Big Brother program for many years and the Big Sister program. And I was with a pilot program and these were kids who were in severe distress, years of neglect, years of homelessness and living in and out of shelters. And my expectation was just that in any way that I could serve and not to expect ego, like mm. it can't be driven by ego. And it just like, again, limit, like when I wrote my book, my end in mind was if I helped 12 people, then that was going to be count as a success, <laughs> you know, and the books now and it's third reprint and we're making a documentary, taking the lessons of backbone for a new Netflix documentary. Oh, you so, can't. Oh, awesome. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I'm not producing it. Someone else is producing it. Gotcha. So I just feel like, you know, have an end game. I like this idea of like, what's your goal at the end? So what's the goal of this next book? The next book I think is to illuminate that we don't need new self-help. It's all been said. And it's, are you going to give over, say the book takes 10 hours to read. Are you going to pay someone to live in your head when maybe all they want to do is sell you things? Hmm. And I like the idea that we have such unbelievable wealth of material through the Stoics in particular, that through ancient philosophy, that we find that classical wisdom and how to apply it. And I think that that's a great source of joy. Mm. It's a discovery. How did you get into Stoicism? Okay, this is funny. So I was on an archaeological dig, not in... How, how did that happen? Let's go so into that. <laughs> it was, I was on an archaeological dig We're in Long Island. Okay, and it was the Sylvester estate in Shelter Island. Hmm. And I was with a big group of friends and we were walking with the grand dame of the manor, Alice Fisk. She was a very elegant woman. And as we were walking through her garden, she, the Sylvester manor had been in her family since maybe 1620. So they had a garden where they had these classical busts and my friend Mary Richardson Kennedy said, oh, look, there's Marcus Aurelius. And I thought, oh, that's good. The fact that you could recognize his curly head across a garden, it's like, I'm going to brush up on my classical studies. And it's funny because I wouldn't say envious, but I would say envy would be like the least stoic quality. <laughs> the and, irony. Yeah. yeah. So that's how I really got into it. I just started reading um, Marcus Aurelius Meditations. And I would say my favorite book that I, besides Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, is Epictetus. I really adore a book called The Manual for Living. I'm not familiar with that one. Oh, I will send it to you. Really? You need it in paper, not digital, mm -hmm. because it is a book that, that's the book I buy the most and I give away the most. Interesting. Why? What are you hoping for people to get out of that? So what I love about Epictetus is that he was born a slave mm -hmm. in ancient Greece. He was beaten so severely that he lived in chronic pain and all the engravings of him he's on, he has a crutch. And there is a sense of resilience in his writing that he was so bright, he was able to establish his freedom. He became a free man. And the reason why it's called Stoicism is that Plato, as a philosopher, taught in a cave. 
and Aristotle had his peripatetic school where they'd be in motion. The Stoics taught on a stoa in Greek, that means porch. So there was a big painted porch in the center of Athens. And the idea was Stoicism is for every person. And that the idea, the main tenet is we can't control what happens. We can only control how we respond. And what have you had to overcome in terms of what's been the most challenging for you to respond to? Whether it's pain, whether it's other people, Uh, whether it's... Pain is tough. Pain trumps people. Yeah. (laughs) Because you know what? You can forgive people. Yeah. We can forgive people or we can just say, again, one of my favorite quotes from Marcus Aurelius, he said, the best way to deal with your adversary is to not be like them. So if someone's being a jackass, all right, you know what? I'm not going to be like that, but take note. But pain is the hardest thing because it's invisible and no one can feel it except me. And I think I'm a very healthy looking sick person. And it just derailed my life in a way that there are bad days where I am in so much pain and I think, I don't know how I'll ever get on. I don't know how I'll ever survive this. And then I think, well, I've survived every bad day since. So we'll just get through it. And that's it. That's impressive. Before I let you go, I've got a random bunch of questions. I want you to put your finger just down anywhere on any of these. Can I just do it? like Wherever you want. Go for it. Boom. Tell me a funny or interesting story about someone that you're impressed with. This could be either someone you've read about or a good friend. Okay. And I'm sure this has got to be a loaded question for you and all the people that you know. Okay. I would say one of the people who I admire that I have the blessing of friendship, he is truly my medicine, is George Clooney. And I love the way that he navigates his way through life. He is the most loyal man. His life is full. Like It is so full. And George and I share the idea that if you do something for someone else and then you talk about it, it doesn't count. The idea is you don't do something positive in kind of order. like your postcards. Yeah, you don't, do it, you don't do it for the applause. Yeah. What I love about George is he's got this tequila company. Every penny goes to human rights. And he Nespresso, he makes these deals and I see how he inspires other. And he's just funny and cheery and I love his sense of loyalty. What fuels his fire? Like why when you're at the top of the game like him, what keeps him there? What keeps him going? How does he... I see him always striving to improve as an actor, as a director, as an advocate. I love seeing how he's always learning. And he didn't go to college. He worked cutting tobacco and moved to L.A. and became an actor. But he always, I met him before he became wildly successful. And the man I met when he was sleeping in another buddy's closet is very similar to the wildly successful multi-Oscar winner. He's, he's been nominated in more Oscar categories than any other person in history as writer, director, producer, actor, supporting actor. And I just see how much happiness he brings to the world. How is he kept so how, hey, or grounded what? or whatever it is you want to use to describe him? So it's funny. We had this saying that, and again, it's, I think it's from the Psalms and it says, as iron sharpens iron, 
as man sharpens man. The idea is that your friends and the people around you make you better. Mm. And I think I'm a better person because George is in my orbit. And George has such deep, long friendships that challenge him and inspire him. And I see he's created this Clooney Family Foundation and the Not On Our Watch Project, the Enough Project. The services that he is doing, he is no limousine liberal. The kindness, the generosity. He is a man that when he walks in the room, it tilts in his direction. Hmm. Another person like that is Bill Murray. Yeah. Like we know, yeah. <laughs> we share, we share a deep friendship with Billy, and Billy's way of just enjoying the magic of life. Billy's different because it's like he is a one-man conga line of fun, and I just love how the rules of humdrum society do not apply to him. He is a singular, sui generis, one of a kind. Hmm. Well, there's a common thread, it seems, amongst all of you, just staying grounded. I don't know George, but you and Bill, I mean... They say that friends hold a mirror up to each other. Oh, that's a good one. And if you like what you see, you're going to stay close. But again, I admire these gentlemen for their compassion, for their service to the world. And this is outside of their art and their talent. But what they do as men as leaders is incredible. What would they say about you? The, they hear the same old jokes every time. <laughs> I think they would both comment on my memory. Yeah, impressive. Well, again, we forget 80% of what we learn. So if you, if you write it down, we were talking about tricks and... Yeah, but just think of all the quotes you just rattled off, all the things just like, it's just like second nature to you. Well, I think that I'm paying attention. When I am up and in vertical and have a gift of a day, that I can interact with people. I'm going to pay attention and I'm going to honor it. Yeah. For the record, for those, we were just at lunch. And I mean, there are people that I've known for years mm-hmm. that I still have to like kind of process to remember their names. Duff, you got their names like right away, asked them questions. I mean, you were on it. Well, I like your, what you, can you share your mnemonic that you... Oh, be suave? Yes. For, for remembering names. And it's mm-hmm. not mine. I'd like to mm-hmm. take credit, but I can't. That's where mm-hmm. I got from Jim Quick. But it's just a way of remembering people's names. You so, want to know? Yeah, so B stands yeah. for... Well, I want to see if you remember. Do you remember any um, of them? We said it quickly while walking, okay. so I'll be impressed if you get half of them. So the first sentence is be suave. It would yeah. be B, so mm-hmm. I don't know what the B would be. Tell me, we'll keep okay. going with what, yeah. E mm-hmm. would be engaged. Exercise. Exercise. So like, it's like practice. Practice. So, yeah. so practice. S. So B is believe. Beef. Just, okay. just so you know, believe, believe like exercise. believe you can do it. Okay. So that's great. Yeah. Cause you got to believe cause it's just, and the way it was taught to me is that, you know, if you came in, if someone was holding a hundred thousand dollars for you, would you remember their name? You would. Mm-hmm. You, you just, of course you would because it's important to you. Mm-hmm. So if you understand that, that you have the ability to do that, you believe. You know, I also, we observe, because I would say 99% of the population would say, I have a bad memory. But that's because that's the story we've told ourselves. 100%. But if you believe you have a good memory, like I believe I have a good memory, I then exercise Mm. my good memory. So it's believe, exercise. Yeah, suave. Suave would be S, would that be say it? Yes. Okay. You... And it's not utilized. Remember, it was how we thought of it. Remember when we were walking mm-hmm. and I said your name? Yes. And utilize. Uh, understand. Understand why you have this Yeah. Name. So it was like, oh, hey, where did okay. Duff come from? So we've yeah. got 
Believe, exercise. Say it. Say it. Understand, understand why. it. A, a is ask. A, a, yes, ask. Like, how did you get your name? How did mm -hmm. you engage in a conversation? It'd be a tricky way to remember. Mm -hmm. V. Yep. Let's not verify. Visualize. Visualize. And E. End. End. Okay, I was going to yeah, say end. Yeah, end with it. So, hey, Duff. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Okay, it's so let's, let's see what it looks So, believe, exercise, say it, ask, mm -hmm. visualize, and oh, understand. understand. Visualize, visualize. And then end ask, the conversation. Understand. Okay. Yeah, so that's a mnemonic. And it takes practice. Like, it's mm -hmm. not happening overnight. Maybe for mm -hmm. you it will, but not for most people. But when you do, you get in the habit of practicing that. It's phenomenal. And how much more, like I used to, I was one of those people. Like, I don't do well at remembering people's names. But then you practice it. And I'm still not that great at it, but I've gotten significantly better. Yes, and that's great. Like, again, celebrate every victory. Mm -hmm. Like, I am not looking for enormous strides. I think that's so important is like, one of the people who I, I wouldn't say mentor, but I speak to a large group of people who also live with chronic illness. And uh, we always say the Bill Murray thing. I was like, baby step it, micro action. I was like, okay, you know what? Changing your diet. And you had fruity pebbles with marshmallows for breakfast. You know what? <laughs> How about next morning you don't eat the marshmallows? <laughs> like little mm -hmm. steps. And those are doable. And when you see little encouragements, I think you feel good about yourself. Well, you do better that way than the little as opposed yeah. to having a big win. Yeah. And then you can't follow that up, then it deflates you. Yeah. So the little steps get you farther and that reinforces things. But actually something to what you said before, there's a great saying, either you can or you can't, you're both right. Yes. Again, getting back to the But mindset. you think about it. You think yeah. you can do it? You yeah. think you've got a good memory? Or you think you've got a terrible memory? Well, you're right either way. Yeah. Is that James Wooten too? It might be. I don't I think know. So that's so part of the know, pyramid man. of success. Gosh, I try yeah. to always attribute yeah. whoever I'm going to be quoting yeah. from. I try it. I'll, I'll give it. it to you for the day. <laughs> you <know? laughs> um, well, listen, unless there's anything that you want to talk about, I really appreciate you coming today. I've had a lot of fun. It yeah, was it was great, great. great. Thank yeah, you yeah, so yeah, much. Really nice bread, hanging out with you. Sitting down, having some fun. Yeah, it was um, great. Is there anything that we did not cover that we should? No, Whether it's your book. Yeah, it was a good, this is a great conversation. We hit it all. Thanks, man. Awesome. Take care. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a network-wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network-wise.